0: podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this message by Pastor Joey Bonifacio. I've entitled this particular message How to Navigate a Financial Eclipse. When you think of the word eclipse, the word eclipse has two forms. One is a solar eclipse and the other one is a lunar eclipse. Essentially, an eclipse is when a body is blocking out a light source. For instance, a solar eclipse simply means that the moon is blocking out the the, the sun and that's why it's covered out and the light source is blocked out. In a lunar eclipse, the Earth is blocking out the sun from radiating its light into the moon, and that's why people on the other side of the Earth have a lunar eclipse. More than just a light source blocking out a source of light, it's resulting in an inability to see clearly, but it is a natural recurring phenomenon. This is, while we know scientifically what happens, the phenomenon still remains that these things align itself over times and seasons. All eclipses are temporary. Similarly, a financial eclipse is when a source of finance is blocked out and the resulting inability to see clearly for our finances. It's a naturally occurring phenomenon that happens over, over several years or decades or, or months, but it's the fact that it's constantly recurring. Finally, all financial eclipses are temporary. In the Bible, when you talk about these type of, of eclipses, we're really talking about moments when uh, famines happen. These are moments when the sources of resources, or material resources rather, are blocked out. And we have a hard time seeing clearly what the future is ahead of us, and it keeps recurring. In fact, there are many times in the Bible where we find stories of famines. However, all famines are temporary. In Genesis chapter 26, verse one, we hear of a famine that, that have occurred in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. This is really a verse that tells us that these things do recur from one generation to the next. It talks about a famine in the time of Isaac, besides the earlier famine, in his father's life. And the fourth point I want to make is, famines happen to everyone. No one is free from hard times. Every generation will have some version of it, and they can even happen to God's people. We will all experience a famine or a financial eclipse at some level in some time in our lifetime. Famines happen to everyone, and every famine is unique and universal. Some are bigger and wider than others. Some are milder and others are more severe. Some are shorter and some are actually a lot longer. Genesis chapter 29 verse 1 continues where it says, And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Well, the the purpose of why I'm saying this to you is because these two men experienced a famine, but one guy went to the Philistine land of Gerar, while in Genesis chapter 12, we see that Abraham went down to Egypt. In other words, there's something universal and there's something unique in each one of those. When you look at throughout history, when you see financial eclipses or moments of quote-unquote famine, which is a shortage of material resources, we see different things that are unique and universal. For example, the Great Depression of 1927, there were very specific reasons to why those things happened and there were very universal reasons to why they happened. When you see the Australian the Great Depression, the version of it, there were some things that were unique and there were some things that are universal. When you see the great Asian commer- uh, 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 cash crisis, right, the big crash of Asia, we see the same thing, the same pattern. And today, when we look at the coronavirus and how it's affected our economic resources, we find that there are circumstances that are universal and there are circumstances that are unique. There are attitudes of greed and selfishness and generosity that are Universal and there are that are unique. And there are experiences both personal, local, uh, national, and international that are both universal and unique. The point is all, everyone, famine happens to everyone. And every famine at some level is unique and some level is universal. Secondly, every famine has lessons to be learned. Whether that's the Great Depression, the Great Depression of Australia, the big economic crisis in Asia, or the current crisis that we're facing because of coronavirus, There are lessons to be learned. First lesson, the most obvious of which is all famines will end. And second lesson that we must learn and understand is famines are often followed by strong recoveries. We're beginning to see that here in Singapore, where there was a moment of time where there was a famine, and now the recovery is so strong that the prices are going up. I mean, the rental prices are going up. Famines teach us also to focus on essentials. That during the famine, we could have learned lessons by focusing on the essential things and putting away or putting aside those that are unessential. More than that, we can also learn from our own circumstances, from our own attitude, and from our own experiences. Point being, famines will happen to everyone. Every famine is unique and universal, and every famine has lessons to be learned. Thirdly, famine exposes the reality of our hearts. The reality is when we are blocked out from material resources or find ourselves in darkness, there are things that are exposed in our hearts. In Genesis chapter 26, back to the story of Isaac, when the men of that place, meaning the Philistines, which were the major warriors and eventually became enemies of the people of Israel, the place and his wife, he told his his wife, he said to her, she's my, told them rather that she's my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. Fear is a common thing that we find in days of famine. We're worried about the, the, the impending issue that there is a blockage. And so minor issues become major issues of sources of fear. Now notice also in Genesis chapter 12 that his father did exactly the same thing. Though during the famine in Abraham's time, when he went to Egypt, he, he stayed there for a while because the famine was severe. Now he had a beautiful wife as well. And he said to his wife, Sarai, because I know what a beautiful woman you are, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, they will this is his wife, they will kill me, but will let you live. Fear. This idea of fear is something that is heightened when famine happens in our lives. When, if we're gonna navigate the famines in our lives, the eclipses in our lives, the financial eclipses in our lives, we need to know that they actually happen to everyone, that every famine is unique and there's something universal about them. Every famine has lessons to be learned and famines will expose the realities of our hearts. Further, in Genesis chapter two, back to the story, 26 verse two, it says, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said to him, do not go down to Egypt. Now remember, his father went down to Egypt, but he was told, don't go there. Instead, stay in this land for a while. There's a point where sometimes in a famine, there's a place that we'd have to stay for a while, a stopgap, a place where we're not gonna be staying permanently. But we need to understand it's a place we need to be in at that moment in time. But more importantly, God says, stay here for a while. And in the midst of this famine, I will bless you. Which brings me to my second point. God is with you through the famine. Whatever famine that may be, large or small, short or long, God is with you through the famine. Genesis chapter 26 continues where he says, stay in this land for a while. I will bless you. But more than that. I will not just be with you, I will bless you. God is with us through the famine. And secondly, he will bless us in the midst of a famine if we will obey him. Now notice where it says in verse three, God continues to say, stay in this land for a while. God is repeating to him that there is a moment where you're gonna have to stay in probably in places that are not exactly the best circumstances for the moment. But you need to stay there for a while. And he repeats his words where he says, I will be with you. And I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. More than just repeating that he was going to be blessed, there is an element of God's blessing that is never just about us, that our families will not just only be blessed. But the whole earth will be blessed because of us, because of the blessing that we receive from God. Now, watch this. This is very important, probably the core of this message. The reason why he was blessed is because of the next verse in verse 5. He says, Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. Notice where it says, If you follow the same pattern of Abraham's where he obeyed me and did what I required, you will be blessed. God is with you through the famine. He will bless you in the midst of a famine. He will bless you because of your obedience. When we think of the word obedience, it is not devoid of rules. Rules are essential because there's nothing to obey without rules. Rules, however, can quickly devolve into blind obedience and losing the heart of why we need to obey or want to obey. One reason why we obey is because we just want to blindly follow the rules. The other reason why people obey is because of danger or blind obedience leads to obeying because of fear. God wants us to obey, not just because of blind obedience or because of fear, he wants us to obey him because it is a measure of trusting him. When we trust somebody, we freely obey him because we understand that by doing so, we're putting ourselves in a place of trust, in a place that can be trusted. Jesus took that to another level. In John chapter 14, verse 23, he said, Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings or my commands. Not only is God wanting us to obey him because we trust him, he wants us to obey him because we know he loves us and we love him back. Love is one of the reasons why we're obeying God. We're not stopping or we're not going just because we're afraid or because the rule says so, but because we want to obey God because we trust him and we love him. Now notice in Genesis 26, verse 5, because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him. This is an important facet of obedience that many people take for granted. When all you do is obey rules and regulations out of fear, what happens to is you're not obeying what is required of you? This word required of him is the word mishmereth, which really means what may not be what is Something that is specific to you that is required by God to you. It means that God has put you in charge of something. Yourself, for example. You're not necessarily responsible for the people around you or required to do, let them obey the way you're obeying, but you are required by God to obey in the manner that He is required of you. The relationships around you, your sphere of influence, the properties He's given you, the giftings that He has given you. These things are things that are required of you to obey. Notice where it goes further, where it says, not just obeying what is required of you, but keeping my commands. Now, sometimes when you think about the word requirement, the word command, you think they're the same thing. However, this word in the Hebrew is not the same word. It's actually the word mitzvah. If that sounds familiar, that's where we get the term bar mitzvah or the word bat mitzvah or bas mitzvah, which is about a woman. Bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah or bas mitzvah is basically a tradition that the Jews had where they get a child and at a certain age they tell him, at this point on, you are required to obey God's commands. There was a time when you were a child where the onus of the making you obey something was on your parents. But at some point in your life, you are required to obey the commands that God has. The word bar mitzvah rather is the word universal in nature or commandments that are applicable to everyone. That for instance, don't kill, don't lie, don't steal. That's not for a specific person, that's for everyone. The next word is by decrees. That word is the word chukah, which means an appointed way of doing life, appointed way of doing things. You don't just obey universal commands, there are appointed things that you only can do. For example, there are certain foods that certain people can eat, but you probably can't eat because you're allergic to it. And those are the appointed ways of doing life, and it is on you to discover what those are. And finally, obedience is not just about the decrees but about the instructions. That word is the word Torah. The word Torah means something that's very specific instructions just for you. That's why the Bible names the five books of the first five books of the Old Testament the Torah, or the instructions that were specific to the Jewish people. Let me review this to avoid your confusion. Obedience means meshmereth or what's required of me, a universal set of commandments that everybody must follow, an appointed way of doing life that's specific to me, and instructions that are very specific to my life. God will bless you through the famine. He will be with you through the famine, in the midst of a famine, but He will bless you because of your obedience, as we've seen in the life of Abraham and Isaac. Further in Genesis 26, verse 8, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech king of the Philistines looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife. Now remember, he had lied to this man that this woman was his sister. Abimelech summoned Isaac and confronted him, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might have well slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Now, you got to remember, this is a king, this is a beautiful woman. He could have easily taken this woman for himself, but Abimelech did not do that. Abimelech instead gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man and or his wife shall surely be put to death. We see this theme of God continuously blessing and not just blessing but actually protecting people through the famine, through and through. And I want you to realize this, despite whatever eclipse or famine you're facing now or in the future, God will bless you in the midst of a famine. He will bless you because of your obedience and he will protect you through and through, even from your own mistakes. The story of of Isaac continues in Genesis 26, verse 12. Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold. Think about that for a minute. There is a famine. There is no water. Things are drying up. And he planted crops in that same land. And in that same year, he reaped a hundredfold. What that means is one seed times 100 plants. Not just one plant with a 100 fruit. It's one seed and a 100 plants. It was miraculous because it was the blessing of God. Why? Because the Lord blessed it. We don't know exactly how God did that. It may be through wisdom about choosing the right plants. It could be whatever shape or form, but the point is God blessed him. And the man became rich and his wealth continued. Not did he just become rich once, and this is the blessing of God. You don't just get rich. Your wealth continues to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines now began to envy him. When you're in a famine, when you're in an eclipse, when you're in a bad situation and other people are suffering and you're not, it's very possible that when God blesses you, others will envy you. So all the, all the wells of his father's servants had dug in the time of Abraham, the Philistines stopped them up. <laughs> when people are envious of you, they can bring harm to you. Now notice what happens next in the following verse. Verse 16 says, Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us you have become too powerful for us. Sometimes we find ourselves being forced and blindsided by jealousy and prejudice to move away from the very thing that God has given us. Remember, if he moves away, he loses the plants and he loses the source of water that he has. I want to make you my last final point or give you my last final point. Don't be afraid to move in a famine. Keep trusting the Lord, keep loving the Lord, and most of all, don't get paralyzed by fear. God said, I will be with you, do not be afraid, I will bless you. But it may mean, for the time being, moving away from your abundance or moving away from your source of security. And this is what happened to Isaac. He had no choice because either than that, these people were going to oppress him. So Isaac decided to move away from there and encamp in the valley of Gerar, which is where he settled. Again, a a temporary stopgap location where he had to move. The first thing you need to understand about moving in a famine is it may mean moving away from an abundance. It may also mean moving into a valley. A valley is not a good place. When you think about the valley or the reference of a valley in Scripture, it means a low point. It means a place of weakness. It means a place of indecision or finding yourself in the valley of indecision. In short, it is an unsettled place. It is not a good place. And sometimes when we find ourselves in an eclipse or a famine, we need to move away from our abundance for a temporary moment and find ourselves in an unsettled place. Isaac's servants dug in the valley, notice the word valley, and there God still blessed him and they discovered the well of fresh water. But in the midst of that, the envy did not stop. The herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, that water is ours. So he named that well sect, because it was disputed from him. The problems have not stopped. And so he kept digging. They dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna, which means opposition. From there, he moved again. And he moved there and dug another well. And this time, after digging this well, no one quarreled over it. The point is, keep moving. Don't be afraid. And just make sure you're keeping the obedience to God, which is required of you, His universal commandments, His appointed way of doing life, and your specific instructions, and not just arbitrary or capricious random personal preferences. I'm not saying in any way that the point of why I'm saying all of this is so that you realize that sometimes God's going to make you move without a specific place yet in mind. However, I'm not saying that you should just move arbitrarily because you capriciously, randomly, personally preferred a certain location. The point is obedience. And when you obey God, you don't have to be afraid to move in a famine. Do not be paralyzed. Keep moving because God is with you. Genesis chapter 26 verse 22 continues. He moved on again from there and dug another well. And no one quarreled over it. And because of that, he had room to move. A stopgap, an intended thing or place for a temporary use. Now, that's the way God moves us. So move us further into our destiny, which is my last and final point. Don't be afraid to move in a famine. It may mean moving away for a temporary time from abundance. It may mean moving into a temporary time into a valley. It means moving into your destiny. From there, it says, notice the verse, the, the, what, the way it's written. From there, he went to Beersheba. And notice where it says, he went up. He's going, leaving the valley and moving up to the place that God had ordained for him. And that night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid. There is that word again, for I'm with you. And I will bless you and I will increase you. And I will increase your number, your descendants, for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called in the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. And there he found his settled place of his destination. Don't be afraid to move him in a famine. It may mean for a temporary time to move away from an abundance. It may mean moving into a valley. It means keep moving into your destiny. Finally, in Genesis 26:26, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahusath and his personal, his personal advisor and Pichol, the commander of the forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. When you follow God in the midst of a famine, people around you, even your enemies, will see that God is with you. There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you, that is make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not do harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully, and now you are blessed by the Lord. Even your enemies will acknowledge that God has blessed you. How do you navigate a financial eclipse? Well, for starters, you need to remember that famines happen to everyone. Every famine is unique and universal. Every famine has lessons to be learned. The primary ones are it will one day end and it will probably have a very strong rebound. Thirdly, famines expose the reality of our hearts. That's just the truth. We will be afraid, but nonetheless, God is with us. God is with you through the famine. He will bless you in the midst of a famine. He will bless you because of your obedience. He will protect you through and through. Lastly, don't be afraid to move in a famine. Don't be paralyzed. It may mean moving away from an abundance, the current that you have. It may mean moving away from your security and moving into a valley. But at the end of the day, it may also mean keep moving into your destiny. Join me in a short word of proclamation. Pick up a piece of bread and a cup as you join me in proclaiming Jesus over our lives. Jesus We thank you that in the midst of the famine, you are with us. We acknowledge that we will all face a famine in whatever shape or form in some time in our lifetime, but we also acknowledge that you will always be with us, you will bless us, you'll protect us, and you will teach us lessons there. And God, we trust you that even as we move away from abundance and security into a valley that we're closer and closer to the very destiny that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Every Nation Singapore podcast. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. For more information, visit everynation.org.sg.